Galatians chapter 4 this morning. Galatians 4, and we'll dismiss our children to the children's ministry. Galatians chapter number 4. Heard about the 17th message here. Going through this study of Galatians, I periodically in between book studies will do a series, maybe in something else, a, a thought or a theme, and, and there's a spell where I was doing that on Sunday mornings, and some were asking, when are you ever going to preach through a book? And so I get into a book, and then they ask, when are you ever going to just preach a theme? And so I realized, if God can't make you all happy, I can't do it either. And, and, um, but there's a benefit to going through a book. It's a challenge at times, but there's a benefit and especially in a Sunday morning setting, it's, it's sometimes it's even more challenging because you're, you're, you're facing the squeeze of people's attention and the clock. And, and yet there's, there has to be a loyalty to the Bible and we give it its time and we give it um, the, the place that it deserves. That means we've got to look at it. We've got to, we've got to listen to it. We have to let it lead us. And it means we can't just go with little snippets. I learned in Bible college that little sermonettes, they produce Christianettes. And we have too many Christianettes around uh, and uh, we need to get into the message of the Bible, the big idea. But we're going to look at the remainder of the chapter. And last week we looked at the fact that Paul was dealing with He's been dealing with these Galatian believers and these Judaizers who have come in, these agitators. And Paul was contrasting how their approach was with them versus his approach. And Paul was pointing out how these Judaizers, they come in with flattery or they come in. And if uh, you don't um, just jump in line, then they marginalize and so it's really just a what I refer to as politics. It's poli there's politics in church. There's politics in ministry, just like there is in government. And politics in the sense of um, we say and do certain things with an agenda. And Paul's pointing out these Judaizers, they have an agenda. And Paul says, I have no agenda. I'm trying to get you to meet Christ and stay with him. And so, therefore, he's, he's contrasting and he's pointing out to them, you've lost your joy. Your joy is, is gone. There was a time you were on fire. There was a time you responded to the preacher and to the preaching, but that's gone away. Now you're just looking for that which will uh, feel good to you. But all the while, he says, you're putting yourself right back into bondage. You, you want freedom, but you're giving up freedom. And so we're going to pick up our reading in verse 21, and we're going to read the next 10 verses through the end of the chapter, verse 31. Now, there's a lot. and You can read it and say, what is he talking about? And we're going to try. We're going to, we're going to walk through this because this is extremely significant that we understand. And I'm going to try to, to unpackage this, but don't, don't, don't put your brain in neutral just yet. Don't disengage. Stay with it. So let's stand together, please, as we give respect to the Bible. Begin our reading in verse 21. Paul says, Tell me, ye that desire to be under the law, 
Do ye not hear the law? Now he's referring to the fact that they want to listen to the Judaizers and they want to embrace circumcision and go back to the, to the way of Moses and Abraham. So he's saying, you who want to be under the law, do you really know what it says? Verse 22, for it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondmaid, the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman or slave was born after the flesh. But he of the free woman was by promise or born by promise. Verse 24, which things are an allegory? And so he's saying what I just told you, I'm going to give you an allegory, except these this is not made up. I'm telling you real historical events you're, you know of, he says, but there's, it's more significant than just history. Verse 24, for these are the two covenants, the one from Mount Sinai, which gendereth to bondage, which is Agar. For this Agar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, and answereth to Jerusalem, which now is, and is in bondage with her children. But Jerusalem, which is above, is free, which is the mother of us all. So still what he's talking about are the two wives, the two mothers that were mentioned. Two sons, verse 22, each came from a different mom. One mom was a slave, one mom was free. And so he's putting this allegory. He's saying, that's history. You know it to be true. But I'm telling you, there's more to it than just historical facts. Verse 27. For it is written, Rejoice, thou barren, that bearest not. Break forth and cry, thou that travailest not. For the desolate hath many more children than she which hath and husband. Now, verse 27, when it says, for it is written, that's usually a good indication that he's saying, here is a, an Old Testament verse. And that's what he's doing. He's quoting from Isaiah. And so when he says, it is written, he's just like we put up Old Testament verses or other verses, he's giving them a verse and helping them understand what he's saying. Verse 28, now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. But as then he that was born after the flesh persecuted him that was born after the Spirit, even so it is now. Nevertheless, what saith the Scripture? That's always a good question, isn't it? It's, it's always interesting to me when people come in. Now, I've only been at this a short time in the pastorate and in evangelism, a um, dozen years. But when somebody wants to come in for counsel, I've learned they don't always want to come in for counsel. A lot of times they want to come in, let me know what they've already decided about a matter. They just want to inform without sending me a text or an email. And they want to make it look like, yeah, I got counsel, but actually I didn't ever say anything. And so Paul says, well, let, let me throw this into the equation. Verse 30, what does the Bible say about it? What does Scripture have to say? 
Well, he answers this question, cast out the bondwoman and her son. For the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. Well, this morning, I've entitled this, we give you two different titles, as I sometimes will do. One is, first title, the only way to be free is to be biblical. The only way you're ever going to find freedom is to be biblical. Your loyalty to the Bible is going to determine the freedom and the liberty that you experience. Or, second title, meet your spiritual mother. Now, I really wanted to go with the title, Who's Your Mama? But... <laughs> I, I thought we'll clean it up a little bit and make it sound a little bit more King James-ish and meet thou spiritual mother. <laughs> Thinking of who's your mama, I told Christy that all I could picture was Mrs. Labee telling me the story about playing football with her boys and uh, just wondering how it went. If she let them win, she said, no, I knocked them down and I stood over top of them and I looked at them and said, Who's your mama? And so I, that's kind of why I had to get away from it. I just, or I'm going to have that image all throughout. That nurturing mother and Mrs. Libby. Aren't you thankful for moms that, um, you know, Christy is a, uh, is a great mom. But they know, they want sympathy, they come to dad. Um, they want stability, they go to mom. But they want sympathy, they come to dad. Uh, and they also know, you want to have fun, you go see mom. And um, um, Christy is, um, uh, if you want to party, you find Christy. Um, you want to keep it plain and legal, stay with me. And again, this, we were on vacation and she was trying to talk me into the place where we were staying. There was a wedding. She said, let's go crash the wedding. And I said, let's pretend I don't even know who you are. That was weeks ago. And she said this morning coming in, she said, wouldn't it have been great if we crashed that party? <laughs> Meet your spiritual mother. Let's do that, all right? Thank you. Please be seated. <laughs> the only way to be free is to be biblical. If we fail to heed and embrace the teaching of Scripture, we will forfeit freedom. Freedom comes to those who hear the word and obey the word. Remember what Jesus said in John 8, 31, 32, and those who've gone through discipleship, you've heard this verse. If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And too often we as Christians easily forget. We may proclaim we love the Bible, Yet we fail to listen to what it says. We listen to it as long as it meets our need. But we fail to listen to it where we disagree. And when that happens, we divorce ourselves from freedom and the liberty that God has designed us. Or we express our desire to obey the scripture. Yet we remain ignorant as far as what it says. And as a result is a very sad and potentially dangerous situation can develop. 
A person can think that they're gaining traction, they're getting greater freedom because of their fidelity to the Bible, and, but they're actually plunging deeper and deeper into bondage and self-deception because of an ignorance regarding the Bible. Listen, we can know the facts and pass the test. We can do the Bible trivia, but unless it does its job in mastering us, we can be proficient in Bible knowledge and we can be experience a tremendous enslavement to bondage and sin and self and flesh because we're not letting it master us. The Pharisees, they made this mistake. Presuming to be mighty in the scriptures, they really were fake, um, insincere. They were counterfeit, pseudo-biblical at best. You remember how Jesus chided them in Matthew chapter 23 and verse 23? He chided them over their strict observance of the law. Because it's not that Jesus didn't want them to be careful about the word of God, but he was trying to get them to see that they were using their strict allegiance to the law as really a, a, a guise to fail to let the truth of it, the essence of truth, pierce even to the inner man. They were avoiding the real heart of the law. Oh, they were trying to keep the, the point, but they were not letting it hit down to the very heart themselves. And so the Pharisees could argue the finer points of Bible trivia. They could tell you facts and history, names and dates. Are you familiar with the verse, Matthew 23, 34, within that context, where Jesus said, your blind guides... You strain at a gnat, but you swallow a camel. See, the problem that Jesus is pointing out is the process. They were experts at straining over exegetical gnats, but they swallowed camels whole. They even had problems with what Jesus was doing because they felt it was not in keeping with the law. And Jesus reminded them, I'm not here to abolish the law. I'm here to fill it up. Your adherence to keeping the law as you see it, but missing the heart of it is altogether straining at gnats and swallowing camels. In other words, they were majoring on minors. They're straining at a gnat while minoring on majors, swallowing a camel. In other words, they were so busy with details that they never dealt with the important matters. Again, Jesus is not advocating that you, you, you ease up on obeying truth here so that you can focus on majoring on truth here. No, what he was saying is don't neglect any of it. And they were adhering to the outside and they were applying what they saw, but they're neglecting over here. And he said, you can't do that. It's not up to you and I to decide. The truth is, I've never swallowed a camel. But I suspect it wouldn't be pleasant. It reminds me of the old lady who swallowed not a camel, but she swallowed a fly. You remember that? I don't know why she swallowed a fly. Perhaps she'll die. But she swallowed a spider, remember, to catch the fly. And then she swallowed a bird to catch the spider. And then she swallowed a cat to catch the bird. 
And she swallowed a dog to catch the cat. And then she swallowed a cow to catch the dog, which I'm not quite sure how the dog is to be caught by the cow. But in any event, she decided to, to catch the cow by swallowing, get this, a horse. Yes, there was an old lady who swallowed a horse and she's dead, of course. This old children's rhyme is humorous, but sadly, death is precisely what happens to those who fail to heed the teaching of Scripture. And this is the danger currently confronting the Galatians, and I believe confronting the church of any age. Remember what James said in chapter 1, verse 22 through 24, But be ye doers of some of the word. No, it just says the word. And not hearers only. Why? Because it is deceiving of your own self. Yes, we've talked about satanic deception. We'll look at tonight in the continuation of spiritual warfare. There is spiritual warfare, satanic deception. But James writes, when you and I, we talk about loving the word and we talk about obeying the word, but we are not fully um, giving of ourselves, being saturated, saturated by the word, submitting to the word, we're deceiving our own selves. Self-deceptions. Uh, Self-deception sets in. And the ones that are prone to being self-deceived are those who hear Bible preaching most often. That's why we have to guard our hearts. That's why we have to be sensitive to not be like the Pharisees and to pick the parts that will be in company with everyone else. But instead we embrace it as the whole because if God gave it, then God means it. And as a result, that's where we find freedom. See, in the outward effort to be biblical, these Galatians are following the agitators and the Judaizers, and they've digressed into unbiblical thinking. And they're trying to adopt some Old Testament hard stuff, circumcision and other aspects of the law, hard stuff. But as a result, they're forfeiting freedom in Christ. They're being enslaved all over again. So Paul takes them back to where we all need to go, to the Bible. And he takes them to the Bible and he points out, in essence, what James pointed out in James 1.25. Whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful here but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. Why don't you listen to what Todd Wilson, a commentator on the book of Galatians, said. He wrote, for Paul does not think the Galatians, despite their current allegiance to the inflated yet hollow teaching of the agitators, Paul does not think that the Galatians are being half as biblical as they should be and not a tenth as biblical as they presume to be. In fact, from Paul's perspective, the Galatians have failed at the most basic level. Namely, they are failing to listen to the Bible. That's why I'm challenging us this morning. Don't tune out the Bible. Listen to it, please. Paul launches then into this new section of this letter with a stinging rebuke. And he does so in the form of a loaded rhetorical question. Look at it again in verse 21. Here's the stinging rebuke in the form of a loaded rhetorical question, tell me, Paul says, ye that desire to be under the law, do ye not hear the law? 
Do you not see the irony here? Paul says that the Galatians are ready to embrace circumcision in order to be, quote unquote, more faithful to Scripture, yet they failed to grasp the very heart of the Bible's teaching. Now, as we look at Paul's handling of the Galatians, he's dealing with their fake spirituality. So what Paul does is he goes back into Old Testament history. And I believe for us to understand, as we read through there, for us to understand and grasp this portion of history, it might help us if we trace briefly Abraham's experiences. You might want to jot down. You can find this in Genesis 12 through 21. But I'm going to give this to you using Abraham's age as our guide. And we can trace the events which Paul is basing his argument for Christian liberty upon. Paul's trying to get God's people to experience freedom and liberty. And he's using this argument. And so in order for us to understand the argument, let us understand a little bit about Abraham. First of all, we're going to start at age 75. And this is found in Genesis 12, verses 1 through 9. Abraham is called by God to go to Canaan. And God promises Abraham many descendants. That's at age 75. Both Abraham and his wife Sarah wanted children, but Sarah was barren. And God was waiting until both of them were as good as dead before he would perform the miracle of sending them a son. We find a little bit about that in Romans chapter 4, verses 16 through 25. So that's age 75. We go to age 85. And here's where we find the promised Son has not yet arrived. And Sarah becomes, notice the word, impatient. That's a problem for us all. Or let me say, whenever we become impatient, it becomes a problem for us all. Because here, Sarah suggests that Abraham marry Hagar, her maid, and try to have a son by her. Now, the act was legal in that society, but listen, it was never approved of by God. It was never the will of God. It was the will of society, but it was not the will of God. So what happens, Abraham follows her suggestion, and he marries Hagar, Genesis 16, verses 1 through 3. Then we move to age 86. One year later, Hagar gets pregnant. Sarah gets jealous. Things are difficult in the home that Sarah ends up throwing Hagar out. But the Lord intervenes. He sends Hagar back and promises to take care of her and her son. And when Abraham is 86, the son is born whose name is given as Ishmael. That's Genesis 16 verses 4 through 16. Ishmael. Then we go to age 99. God speaks to Abraham and promises again that he will have a son by Sarah and says to call his name Isaac. Later, God appears again and reaffirms the promise to Sarah as well. And we find this in Genesis 17 and 18. And then we go one year later to the age of 100. And here's where Isaac is born, Genesis 21. Verses 1 through 7. At the age of 100, Dr. Childs, how old are you? 
93. Can you imagine at 100? <laughs> I just needed some levity there. They name him Isaac. Anyone know what Isaac's name means? Laughter. As commanded by God, they named him Isaac. But the arrival of Isaac creates a new problem in the home because now you have Ishmael and you have Isaac and their rivals. Or Ishmael now feels like he has a rival. For 14 years, Ishmael has been his father's only son, very dear to his heart. So how will Ishmael respond to the presence of a rival? At 103, we find that Abraham celebrates Isaac's weaning, which was customary in that day. And there's a celebration. But Ishmael mocks Isaac. Ishmael would be 17. And here Isaac is 3. And the feast begins, Genesis chapter 21. Ishmael starts to mock Isaac. And it creates tr trouble in the home. And there's only one solution to the problem, and it's a costly one. And Hagar and her son, Ishmael, they have to go. With a broken heart, Abraham sends his son away because this is what the Lord tells him to do in Genesis 21, verses 9 through 14. Now listen, that's the context of what we're looking at in Galatians 4. On the surface, this story appears to be nothing more than a story of family problems. But beneath the surface, Paul is saying there are meanings here that carry tremendous spiritual power and have been this way for thousands of years. He's dealing with Abraham. He's dealing with Abraham's two wives. He's dealing with Abraham's two sons. And he's talking about that these represent spiritual realities and the relationships teach us important lessons. Now, despite the complexity of winding through this exegetical Old Testament history. Listen, Paul's purpose, Paul's very purpose with this passage is extremely clear and simple. He wants to help the Galatians to hear what the law says. He wants to help them hear what the Bible says. And so Paul chooses three pillars, three major spiritual truths that if they will embrace and continue in them, they'll find freedom. And the same goes for you and me. Let me give you these three truths. Number one, we saw in verses 23 through 24, he's dealing with Abraham's two sons. The story of Abraham's two sons. Now it's clear to Paul that many of the Galatians had been deceived and they desire to be under the law. That's what he says in verse 21. So he wants to make sure that they understand what the law is about. So he uses two of Abraham's sons, Ishmael and Isaac. And he points out the differences in these two. Ishmael. Ishmael was born to Hagar. Hagar was a slave, born in slavery. Isaac, however, was born to Sarah. Sarah's a free woman. Though Ishmael was born by natural means, Isaac was born through supernatural intervention to a woman past childbearing years. Why? 
How? Verse 23 of Galatians 4 tells us it was a result of God's promise. See, Paul first takes the Galatians to Genesis and the story of these two sons, Ishmael and Isaac. They're the offspring of one father. So he says, we know who the father is, it's Abraham. But he's saying, who's your mother? Is your mother Sarah or is your mother Hagar? Hagar's a slave, Sarah is free. But Paul is primarily interested in the two different processes that led to their births. Ishmael, again, it's a result of mere human initiative. This is when God promised to Abraham and Sarah, you're going to have a son. Time goes by. They don't have a son. They recognize we're not getting younger. We're getting older. In fact, we're the oldest people to ever have children. It's not possible that for us to have children. And so Sarah says to Abraham, why don't you go and take Hagar, take my handmaid. You marry her and have a son by her. And then God, then God can bless and then God can perform his plan. And Paul refers to this as human initiative. You know, Paul associates that with the flesh. And he contrasts that then with Isaac. Isaac is the fruit of divine initiative. He associates that with promise. Again, look at it, verse 23. But he who was after, uh, he who was of the bondwoman was born after the flesh, but he of the free woman was by promise. And so Paul sees in this story a picture, a picture of how God begets his children, a picture of how a person can become a part of God's family, the people of God. So are you following so far? This first principle has to do with two sons, two sons that come from different mothers. So you have Ishmael, the first son, and his mother was Hagar. And then you have Isaac, and his mother was Sarah. Now, Ishmael was born because Sarah, Abraham's wife, couldn't have a child. They couldn't have children. And they suggested, uh, she suggested, take Hagar, marry her, and you can have a boy. And, and that happened. And, 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 and a son was born, and they saw this is what God needs. This is what God will then take and bless. But we find later on that God did do what he said he would do. Why? Because great is thy faithfulness. And God promised, God was just waiting until they were as good as dead. God was waiting until they were convinced, I can't do it, only God can. And God sent the son he promised to send, who was Isaac. Isaac's mom was Sarah. And only way that Isaac could have been born was God. Divine initiative according to promise. And so, again, he's pointing out, that's the only way you can get saved. You can only get saved according to the promise of God. A person who says, I'm saved because here's what I've done. I've kept the law. I said a prayer. I've been pretty good. I haven't killed too many people. I haven't stolen too very much. I have, I'm not the worst person in our county. There are other people worse than me. He says, if that's what you're going off of to get you saved, your mother is Hagar. Because it's all about what you 
have done. But the only people that are in God's family are those who are born of Sarah, who say, it's only by the grace of God. It's only by the wonderful, matchless grace of Almighty God that I have forgiveness of sins and eternal life. It's only by the miracle of the gospel. Because it's nothing that I can do, nothing that Abraham could do, nothing that Sarah could do. It's only by the promise that whosoever will could call upon the name of the Lord. And so he mentions this because this is how a person gets saved. But not only is it about how we get saved, but it's also how we as God's children discover and keep freedom. See, when we rely upon what we do, we lose the freedom, the liberty that's found in Jesus. How do we rely upon divine rather than human initiative? And by the way, that's the purpose of this first point that Paul is bringing out. Why the story of the two sons? Because he's trying to get them to see that as a child of God, you got saved by relying upon divine initiative. As a child of God, we ought to live by relying upon divine initiative. Not human initiative. You see, a lot of times when it comes to people getting married, they'll pick somebody because, boy, they just love them. And they love me and, and therefore I don't see anything wrong with them. And, and, and that's got to be one of the worst criteria for determining who you're going to marry. I don't see anything wrong with them. Uh, do you see anything wrong? I don't see anything wrong with them. And the fact is you can look at Ishmael and say, I don't see anything. He, his father's Abraham. He, he comes from a good family. But do you know that the Bible teaches that God rejected Ishmael? Why? Because he was the work of what Abraham and Sarah did. He was not the result of what God did. And what happens is when we rely upon human initiative, our human doings, I manipulated this, I worked this, we can get an Ishmael through a Hagar and then God can bless it. No, God only blesses what he says and God only blesses what he does. You go around God, you can get what you want, but you'll lose what you could have had. How do we rely upon divine initiative rather than human? Look to the promises of God. I say look to the promises of God. When somebody, I'm going to preach a message here soon. As I'm working through, I'm running, I'm running out of Sundays and Wednesdays. And so I think we're going to have some special revival meetings just so I can get in some of these messages. I'm going to preach, preach a message on how to be single and satisfied. Because it's a lie out of the pit of hell that if you're single, you've missed out on what God has for you. And if you can't be content with Jesus while you're single, you're going to ruin a marriage when you get married. And so what happens is we, we sometimes say, well, how do I find God's will? How do I find that person? How do I do this? Oh, well, I know, I know. I've got to go on to ChristianMingle.com. Well, I mean, you can. Did somebody do that? I, I wouldn't admit to that right now. It's not, it's not the time to admit to it. 
I, now, if you have, if you have uh, subscribed to um, ChristianFarmers.com, I would be interested in talking to you about it because I want to tell you, they need some help with their commercials. They need some major help. And um, I think a Rick Jensen would be the key candidate just to get on there and help them with the makeover. And I could submit your name. We could, we, we could do so. We're bound to be able to do better with the skit than they're doing trying to advertise. But, but that's desperate. That is desperation right there. Are you opposed to that? No, I'm not. But I'm saying, if you're looking for a substitute, God's going to reject anything that He doesn't bless. Amen. Well, how are we going to find the person that God has for me? I went through Mama. Mama said it's good. But how do you know God said it's good? Well, I, uh, I, I, just, I don't see anything wrong with it. Really? Here's what Paul was pointing out, and here's what Jesus was pointing out to the Pharisees. You get nitpicky about the places where you want to get nitpicky, but what about the heart of the rest of the law? You don't embrace the one and say, look at what I'm doing. Look at this. Look at how good I am. Look at how wonderful I am. Look at how faithful I am. When you're not really good and faithful and clean and right and pure and honest over here. So what you're left with is human initiative. And we begin to work into our own understanding when in fact the Bible says, lean not into your own understanding. In all of your ways acknowledge Him. He should direct thy path. You want to know why God rejected Ishmael? God rejected Ishmael and to this day we still have trouble with Ishmael. I'm not talking about in theory. I'm talking about as a nation. Because somewhere back then, a man who had the promise of God upon his life listened to the wrong voice. He listened to the woman. Oh, you're against women. No, I'm against listening to the wrong voice. And he heard what he wanted to hear. You think Abraham wanted God to use him? Sure he did. But he leaned into his own understanding. In all of his ways, he didn't acknowledge God. And God rejected. Now, he got what he wanted, and so did Sarah. But Sarah lost what she had. And what Paul is trying to get across to the Galatians is, rely upon the divine yes. instead of the human initiative Amen. working it out I remember Elizabeth Elliot remember anybody recognize the name Elizabeth Elliot we're kind of getting removed from a generation that knows who Elizabeth Elliot was Elizabeth Elliot she wrote somebody wrote to her and said how do I get a guy to notice me as a young person and um and she said, how do I get a guy to notice me? And here's what she said. You don't. You don't. She said, do not write a little note. And this is before cell phones and texting. But don't write a little note and put a smiley face. Don't write a little Bible verse and say, I'm praying for you. And don't say, I've got some deep question that you need to help me with. 
She said, stop lying to yourself. You really want to get somebody to notice you? Why don't you draw near to God and God will notice you? And do you know that God knows who everybody is? God knows who you need to meet. And you're only a breath away from talking to the one who knows everybody and how to connect anybody. But what he's saying is you've got to stop relying upon human initiative and then masking it over with, well, isn't this a spiritual thing? This is awfully wonderful. God's going to use us now and God's going to bless. God can use a donkey. Why can't God use you? But you know why God used a donkey? Because the donkey trusted in the Lord with all of its heart and leaned not into its own understanding and all of its ways it acknowledged Him and God was able to use the donkey and that's the only way He's going to use us. Don't rely upon human initiative. You still with me? I'm not going to get this in but let 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 me give you the points and I will preach it next Sunday. In verses 25 through 27 he mentions another Message, And it's the prophecy of Isaiah. Remember, we say down in verse number 27, for it is written. Well, he's talking about a quote from Isaiah, Isaiah 54. And here he's talking about Isaiah preaching to a barren nation of Israel. They, they, they're, they're, they're empty, they're desolate, and they're floundering. And, well... I'll just keep going with it. We'll go with it here. And what he says to them is, God's going to do a remarkable thing. He's going to bring out of nothing. He's going to bring out of barrenness, verse 27. And he's going to bring out of desolation. He's going to bring out a child and more children. And he's going to bless. And I believe for the nation of Israel, he's saying that when Jesus comes, it's going to be the beginning of this flourishing. And and God's doing the work. And I believe Paul's telling the Galatians, God's doing this in your very midst. With Christ having come, with the church having been started, and with the, the coming in the millennial reign, God is going to do the impossible, the miraculous in the midst of the most empty, barren, desolate situation. So he says this, regarding these two sons, the first point was rely upon the divine. Get along with God. Don't move from seeing God work. Make sure, make sure you stay in a place where you see miracles daily. Don't don't you manufacture the Christian walk. Let it be miraculous. But number two, the prophecy of Isaiah to a barren people, number two, he's saying rejoice in God's power. If God can provide a blessing to the nation of Israel that's desolate, desolate, barren, broken, empty, and, and has nothing, nothing to turn itself around, God can. And so he's saying rejoice in God's power. Rejoice in the power of God. God has a remarkable way of bringing something out of nothing. You know, many of you know, Christy and I struggled for years with infertility and, and for 16 years couldn't have children. For whatever reason, there was no medical reason. I mean, we'd go to doctor after doctor every, every so often periodically. And they would never find anything and as to why we couldn't have children. So we just kept praying. And I remember 
one of the doctors said, why don't you go see an infertility specialist and down in Atlanta, people from all over the world will come and visit this doctor and this practice. And so we did. Both of us said, however, going into it, we just don't have peace to go this direction. And, but yet we're going to go and just see if there's something that every other doctor is missing. We went in, they tested, they didn't, went through all the things that they go through. And I remember sitting down with the doctor and he said, now, what you need, what I advise because of where you are, your age and situation, all of this, um, you need to go the route of this uh, in vitro and, and all of this. And, and, um, and he said, it'll cost about $30,000. He lost me there. And, uh, and he said, but this is what I advise. And I said, well, how do you advise to come up with $30,000? He said, you know, talk to your family. And I said, any other way? And he said, no. He said, that's what people do. We borrow whatever it takes. And, and I just said, well, th that's really a mute point. That's really not, doesn't matter because I just don't have peace about it. And Christy looked at the doctor and said, I think we're just going to keep trusting God. And the doctor smirked and said, well, you let me know how that turns out. After 16 years, one less than a month after that visit, we found out Christy was pregnant without ever taking any injection, without ever taking any pill, without ever taking any intervention. And I'm not saying that any of those things are wrong. I'm not saying any of that. Just like the, the ChristianMingle.com, not saying that's wrong. What I'm saying is, if God tells you to do it, do it. But if God doesn't tell you to do it, rely upon the divine and rejoice in the power of Almighty God. We were thrilled. In fact, our immediate doctor was so thrilled and tickled to go back to this elite specialist known worldwide and let, that, let him know what God, what great things God hath done. And so I'm saying people feel trapped. Some feel trapped because of the downturn in the economy. Some because of unemployment. Some underemployment. Some because the mortgage outstrips the value of their home or in a work arrangement. They feel that they can never leave. Yet what Isaiah is saying, we need to rejoice in the God who brings something out of nothing. The one who causes even the barren to give birth. Besides, when we fail to rejoice in God's power, we'll be tempted to trust in our own. We'll find ourselves rushing to all sorts of dead ends. So rejoice in the power of God. Then I can give you this last one. You're still here, right? Amen. Here's one last one. Verse 28 through 31. If God's people are going to rediscover their freedom in Christ and hang on to it, they must hear and heed this third critical word from Scripture. It's a surprising, it's a startling word. But it's the one that Galatians needed to hear and so do we. Notice what he says in verse 28. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. Meaning the only way we can be saved is not by what we've done, but by trusting what God has promised. Verse 29. But as then he that was born after the flesh, who was born after the flesh? Ishmael. Ishmael persecuted Isaac that was born after the spirit. And he says, and it continues to this day. Nevertheless, what saith the scripture? Cast out the bondwoman, which was who? Hagar and her son, which was who? Ishmael. 
For the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. And here's the third truth and principle. If you're going to rediscover freedom and hang on to it, number three, you've got to listen to the request from Sarah. What's the request from Sarah? Cast out. Root out. Eliminate. Cast out. Root out whatever might enslave you. If the Galatians are serious about being biblical and they really want to listen to what the Bible says, then they're going to have to hear all of what it says. And Paul takes these words from the lips of Sarah, the mother of Isaac. And Paul here points to the long-standing sibling rivalry between the children of the flesh and children of the, and the promise of the Spirit. And he says, we read in Genesis 21, that the child born to the slave woman, Ishmael, laughed at the child born of the free woman. And Paul expands our understanding of this sibling, sibling rivalry and he gives an, enormal, uh, uh, an enormous historical significance. And he says, what has to happen, you've got to root out anything that's of the flesh. You have to root it out. Why? Because he te Paul tells us in chapter 5 and verse 17 that the flesh and the spirit oppose each other. That's in our own lives. That's in our church. That's in our community. If the Galatians are going to find freedom and preserve freedom they have in Christ, they must cast out the children of the flesh. They must cast out the arm of the flesh. They must cast out whatever God does not stamp his approval upon. Listen, you ought to be standing at the judgment seat of Christ in your mind and in your heart because you have an appointment with Jesus one day. And everything will be exposed and evaluated at the judgment seat of Christ. And God is going to reveal not just what you have done, but he's going to expose whose power did you do it in? When you ministered, when you were involved in communicating that Bible verse, when you were trying to help somebody, when you were praying with that other person, were you doing it with an angle? Did you do it with flattery? Did you do it with an intent to try to benefit yourself? You say, oh no, I would never do that. Then why in the name of common sense, when somebody is going along these singles, we have singles going, we have Bible college students, we have young people across our land in, 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 in uh, the churches of our land and they'll get involved and they're talking to the glory of God and, and we're trying to help this person. This person's trying to help me. I think we may get married someday and something happens. Something fizzles. Something doesn't work out and instead of being on fire for God after the relationship dissolves, instead they go right back into their sulking into their self-centeredness into their waywardness why? Because 
that wasn't of God. They were not having the fire of God in their life. If so, with a person, without a person, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's always faithful. And we don't have to be loosey-goosey, half in, half out, only when it's convenient for us. I'm telling you, if you only serve God when it works for you, you're not serving God. You are an idol worshiper. You are covetousness. You are experiencing self, 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 and God Almighty rejects it. And you're going to have to understand, you want the blessing and freedom of God, you better cast out all the flesh. You know, someone says it's, it's pretty cruel of Abraham to cast Hagar and her son of 17 years in, in the home out. That's what had to be done. And Sarah had to pull the trigger and say it because she was the one who did it. Abraham was responsible, but Hagar played a part, or excuse me, Sarah played a part. Some of you, God help you, I pray for you. But if you haven't discovered God's grace will always be greater than sin. And you are a liar to hold on to your bitterness, to your anger, to your moral failure, and keep holding on to that and blaming everyone else for your failure when the truth be known, you've never cast out Hagar. You've never cast out your wicked, sinful selfishness. That's why you don't have liberty. That's why you don't have freedom. That's why you couldn't find God's will if you were in heaven. Because you're looking, you're looking for what suits you. I'm telling you, God wants you and I to experience freedom. He wanted the Galatians to have it. In fact, chapter 5, we're going to get into verse 1. He starts right out. Why are you wanting to be entangled? That's why we came to Jesus to be untangled. And you're going to jump right back in and you're tying yourself up. And all the while you're quoting verses. All the while you're showing your, your pseudo-spirituality. Well, if you knew my situation. No, I don't need to know your situation. I just need to know God's and what God has to say about it. What saith the Scripture? And it's sad that some of you have hung on to your hurts and bitternesses when God wants you to revel in who He is. Rejoice in His almighty power. But you've got some rooting out to do. I think about our revival meetings, revival meetings we have. And I think it's sad. I would oftentimes in a particular message in a revival meeting, we close the song, we close the service singing the song, Pass me not, O gentle Savior, hear my humble cry, while on others thou art calling, do not pass me by. And I think through the revival meetings here, 
There's always a reason why we have testimony times. Because testimonies are simply saying, God, you did it. And therefore, as your people, we ought to tell it. You know, you pay for advertisement on these billboards. Jesus paid for you to be his advertisement with his own blood. But I can go through years in my mind of revival meetings. And I think how God was here not wanting to pass anyone by. But revival meeting after revival meeting. Service after service. Crisis after crisis. God wanting to show up. And yet because you wouldn't root out the flesh. You didn't hate it as much as God hated it. You didn't despise it as much as God despised it and put his son on the cross. God passed you by revival meeting after revival meeting. You say, no, I haven't missed a revival meeting. Some of you have always been here, but you've not yet been all in. Because you haven't yet swapped human initiative for divine initiative. You haven't swapped your powerlessness for God's power. And you've not rooted out the very cause of your failure and unbelief and barrenness and wandering in the wilderness. You've not rooted out the flesh. And while we pray and sing, pass me not, O gentle Savior. I believe God's looking in every service, every message. John chapter 5, he came to a multitude and he was asking, will you let me make you whole? Will you let me make you whole? Will you let me make you whole? He's looking for somebody that would say, I, I will, I'll let you make me whole. And there was one man, 38 years, who was so messed up, he had never walked before. And Jesus looked at him and said, rise, take up thy bed and walk. And Jesus did a miracle and he wants to do a miracle in your life and mine, just like he did with Abraham, Sarah, and Isaac. But if you don't get the message that Paul's trying to give in Galatians chapter number four, you're not going to get freedom and you're not going to hang on to it. The decision, like the Galatians, is up to us. What are you going to do about it? Let's stand please with heads bowed and eyes closed.